Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Passing Shots round by round catch up of the US Open. On the passing shot, we're going to be looking back on the US Open finals and what has been a wild and dramatic weekend of tennis at Flushing Meadow. We've had Rafael Nadal claim his 19th Grand Slam in an enthralling final with Daniel Medvedev, which went on to the, the early hours of the morning. We've had Bianca Andreescu announce herself to the rest of the world with a thrilling upset victory over Serena Williams. And in terms of the Brits, we've had Jamie Murray, Andy Lapform, Alfie Hewitt, as well as Gordon Reed, ensure there's been success for the Brits in New York. But Kim, I think there really is only one place we can start as a Nadal fan. I mean, that was pretty torturous, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, my days. Yes, Joel. I mean, two sets up, I was thinking, hey, this is, this is all right. It's going according to plan. You know, then Rafa got a break in the third set. I thought, nicely does it. You know, we're just going to close it out now. And then it just kind of totally switched. And I was just incredulous, really, what we then saw. I mean, Medvedev just totally was like fearless and just went for it. I think, you know, he thought he didn't really have anything else to lose, which obviously then made him just play sort of liberated tennis. I mean, I had already asked you to write the description for the for our podcast, uh, assuming, yeah, it was just going to be a comfortable three-set, three-set, run-of-the-mill victory for Rafael Nadal Grand Slam final. You know, I think everyone kind of thought, you know, going into it that Nadal would wear Medvedev down. Medvedev's played all this tennis and he's just going to be knackered, you know, particularly after a first set, which I think lasted about, you know, 70-odd minutes. Mm. You know, he didn't, you know, was one set down and you think, oh, he's just going to kind of lay over here. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) collapse on court, exactly. (laughs) But no, but no, it didn't happen. And, you know, for me, it was, I thought what was really interesting was in that third set, there was a little bit of, I think, the crowd wanting more tennis. Yeah, of course. And as a result, they kind of almost switched their allegiance a little bit for you know turning on on Nadal and and basically cheering on Medvedev because they just wanted to they wanted it to go to a fourth set yeah and as a neutral tennis spectator like I totally understand that you know you want (laughs) to see as much tennis as possible and you know the match definitely improved as a contest you know after Medvedev took that third set I mean Rafa he could have you know he could have broken Medvedev um, and that would have given him a chance to serve for the match but he sort of 
netted a forehand or something. I can't even remember. And I was just thinking, you know, I was chatting to you. And we were like, we want to record this podcast, you know, after the <laughs> final. And then we were like, it's, if this goes to four, there's no way we can do it because it's so late in Europe. Um, we were like, if only Rafa had not netted that forehand. But yeah, I mean, and then when it went to a fifth, I just thought, oh, good Lord, like this could actually you know, this could potentially be Rafa's worst ever loss in a Grand Slam. You know, there's some ridiculous statistic where Rafa, after winning the first two sets in a Grand Slam, has only lost one match, which um, I don't know if you recall it, Joel, was against Fabio Fognini at the US Open a couple of years ago. So, you know, if Medvedev had actually have pulled off this comeback, it would have been, you know, sensational. But as a Rafa fan, I was thinking, oh, gosh, please, no, you know. Um, and actually for me, like when it got to sort of the fourth set, early stages of the fifth, Rafa seemed just as tired as Medvedev. You know, I was really starting to wonder how much Rafa had in the tank. And I mean, Medvedev just seemed to be defying, you know, defying kind of the force of nature. We, we Maybe we underestimated him and we thought, you know, he would just be spent physically. But I mean, he yeah. was kind of, but he, he still had that energy to to keep going I mean watching Nadal he was kind of getting a bit more angsty and and nervous he kept looking at his box and I think he was a bit shaken by you know he was looking at Medvedev across the net and thinking where's this come from where's this energy come from where's this where's this play come from and you know there was a kind of real you know I think there was a real kind of change in in tactics from Medvedev as you said it kind of you know, he went for broke and it paid off. And you know, I think one thing that particularly helped him was, you know, he was rushing the net on quite a lot of opportunities. And, and Nadal, you know, to begin with, didn't really have, you know, an answer for it. And it, it was a, you know, a strategy in the second half of that match that I felt kind of, yeah, was a, it was, it would really pay dividends for, for Medvedev and, you know, was asking questions of Nadal that, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't come up with, you know, he couldn't come up with an answer with. Yeah, there's so much net play. I, mean, I don't think I expected there to be so much, you know, in a in a hard court, you know, Grand Slam final. Um, but I think Medvedev, you know, he does know the way now to beat Nadal. Like, I believe in their next match, whether that's at a Masters level or perhaps at a Slam again, you know, he has, I think, certainly the tools and the mentality to to defeat Rafa. I think in the fifth set, you know, Medvedev did have break points to, to go to love up at the start. But, you know, Rafa clung on and then, you know, managed to get that break, went a double break up, 5-2, and then he was serving for the match. Medvedev break back, held, and you thought, this isn't over yet, is it? Like, <laughs> I just thought, my gosh, like, what is going to happen? Um, and then, you know, Rafa finally managed to do it on his third championship point, much to the relief of myself and, and the Rafa fan community. <laughs> um, and by that point, you know, it was 3.30 in the morning, well, 3 o'clock in the morning or something, and, you know, I'm just very tired today, but you know, it was totally <laughs> worth it. Um, my little thing that I get annoyed with is that, you know, we were talking about the crowd, you know, how they switched allegiance and they were, you know, a great audience, like very energetic. But I always find it irritating when my favourite player is losing. So I had to turn the volume off and just watch, uh, just watch the <laughs> tennis without any sound. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, if you, we talk about the crowd at, at the US Open, I think you know they do like an they do like an underdog, and yeah. you know in that that third set showed it. And I think I think actually what was really kind of encouraging about this final was that you know this wasn't a final between two of the big three or you know two of the big four, whatever. This was genuinely you know one of the big three versus you know someone from the next gen and. 
you know, it just showed you don't have to have two members of the big three on a tennis court to put on a, you know, a fantastic uh, tennis match. This, yeah, you know, exactly. this match had it all. People are talking about this as potentially, you know, potentially one of the greatest, you know, Grand Slam finals in in recent years you know i think that's a big there's i mean that opens up a, a can of worms in itself but mm. um it's it's certainly up there and and you know when i was kind of reading about it uh this morning i mean for me i th- felt there were kind of parallels uh between this match and murray Djokovic in in 2012 which which also went to five sets and and also andy murray went up two sets in that match uh, but one in five. And, you know, I think, you know, Murray and Nadal, they kind of were having, they're both looking to, you know, add more, you know, add history. Murray was obviously looking for his first Grand Slam. Mm. Rafa, his 19th title, getting one away from, from Federer. And, um, you know, it was almost like in that fifth set, it was like, nope, no, you're not coming back. Not today, not today. And they managed to find the, you know, the will and the way to, to succeed given, you know, despite, you know, having, you know, lost, you know, uh, two sets from seemingly a, you know, a really comfortable position. Yeah, I, I think I was being a bit of a negative ninny. I was I was thinking, oh, Rafa's going to lose from two sets up. How embarrassing. And then I was just thinking, hang on, you know, he at least he hasn't lost from having, you know, match points uh, like, you know, Federer in the Wimbledon final this year. So I was thinking, what is actually worse? Would you rather be like two sets and two breaks up or something or you know have had match points and then and then lost but maybe not have been two sets up what would be more crushing and then obviously Rafa had those two match points which were then saved and he had to serve it out again (laughs) and I was thinking hey Rafa could have been two sets and a break up and had match points up and still lose so I was doing worst case scenario but for me um it reminds me you know of the Wimbledon final in 2008 because Rafa went two sets up in that Federer clawed his way back and then obviously we had dramatic 9-7 finish um and actually you know after this this match I I haven't seen Rafa that emotional in in a long time. You know, when they showed the montage of his 19 slams, it was such a special moment. And he was obviously totally like exhausted and emotional. And I think, you know, it really kind of comes out, you know, how much it it has meant to him and means to him. Um, I mean, what do you think, Joel? Do you think, though, that this, this performance from Medvedev, you know, not just in the final, but across the summer... You know, he's now world number four. Is this kind of perhaps the sort of changing of the guard? Like, is he the unheralded leader of of the next gen? What do you see him doing, you know, in the slams next year? Do you think he can keep up this level? He's certainly, at the moment, he's certainly, I think, the the best of the rest. And, you know, I think with the, you know, with the rest of the season, you know, I think he's certainly going to be a contender come, you know, the World Tour finals. Because I think that, in a best of three set match, I think, you know, he can, he can actually, he can win, he can win against the, 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 you know, the big three. Um, you know, I think there was obviously still question marks, you know, I guess at the grand slam, maybe not on a hard court, but, you know, on a clay court or on a, on a grass court, but, you know, he seems to have all the tools, you know, to be able to, you know, to, to rile opponents. And I think, it's his kind of like uniqueness on a court, you know, his, his double backhand particularly, it's just very unorthodox and it just gives the opponent absolutely no time to, to react. And he hits it very flat, um, you know, goes through the court very quickly. And it's kind of that, I think it's that uniqueness and that, and that kind of unorthodox approach that is putting him in, in, in this kind of, yeah, in this position where he can, 
he can go up against the establishment and say, hey, I've, you know, I'm, I can back myself. I've got the tools to beat you. And you know, I became very close this time around, US Open final. But hey, I think, yeah, I certainly think that he can be a player who, you know, in the future could, could win a Grand Slam. Yeah, I mean, he is a complete player, isn't he, really? And he's got the mentality and that kind of edge to him, which a bit like Bianca Andreescu in the women's game, you know, she's sort of very complete and just that mindset separates her. So, yeah, I I think Medvedev, I mean, we've had 12 slams now, 12 consecutive slams, one by, you know, the big three, which is actually the second longest streak um, that they've managed to put together. So who will be the first player to break their you know their streak it's it's going to be interesting it's going to be interesting to see yeah i did i i would just say i do love medvedev and his serve volley tactics i love that i was so <laughs> he did it on a match it point down so, second yeah. serve <laughs> Ch- championship point down i'll just do championship point down second serve i'll just do some serve and volley. i love love some old school old school tactics at least he didn't try um, an underarm serve that would have <laughs> been very controversial you know um i mean my favourite question of the night was what Medvedev said, you know, in his post-match interview. Um, we were obviously expecting him to say something that would be kind of buzzworthy. But he said, you know, all that, the thing, the montage of all of Rafa's 19 slams, he, he said, when I saw Rafa's reel with all the slams, I thought, what would they have shown if I had won? <laughs> and I mean, I, they probably didn't have anything prepared. I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't, they wouldn't show it for a first-time slam, would they? But... You know, got got us thinking. And actually, if Medvedev <laughs> had have won uh, yesterday, Joel, it would have been the first time we would have had two maiden slam winners in the same tournament since 2004 at the French Open. Do you know who won the Ooh, French in 2004? A little bit of I, trivia for you. No, I don't. I no. don't know. I've got um, no idea. Well, it's the, fir- it's the year before Rafa won his first French, if that rings any bells. Oh, hang on. Okay. Maybe... Uh, was that like that Gaudio era, maybe? Yeah, Gaston Gaudio. And then the women's <laughs> that year was Anastasia Miskina. So, oh, wow. Bit of trivia. Oh, blast um, from the past. Yeah, exactly. But just going back to Rafa, obviously now 19 slams. Uh, he actually, what I find quite crazy, perhaps, is that Rafa has been the most successful player at the US Open on the men's and women's game in the last decade. He's, you know, got four titles, which is more than actually Novak Djokovic has at the US Open. Um, And actually, in terms of his age, he's won five majors now since turning 30, which is actually the most that anyone's got in their 30s, which is also pretty incredible. Um, So I'm just, you know, will will we see Rafa equaling Federer's, you know, will he get 20 in 2020? He's done 19 in 2019. Does that bode well numerically for him to, you know, (laughs) French Open next year? Is he going to be gunning for for 20? I just kind of feel like that might get to... Will that get to him? Will it become like a bit of a Serena Williams, you know, kind of choking up nervousness in finals situation? I hope, I hope not. But, you know, we will see. But I mean, it was one of the most dramatic finals I've seen in a long time. I mean, obviously the Wimbledon final this year was incredibly dramatic, but it's it's good that we did have, you know, we did have, you know, your prediction yesterday, Joel, was that it would be 3-3-3 three, three, and three for Rafa. So I was thinking, hey, I, I was right to question that. <laughs> Mark Petchy on commentary was 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 the same as me. He honestly was like, "Look, this is going to be a three-set, two-hour sort of job. We're going to be done by midnight, and Kim and Joel are going to be able to record their podcast before they go to bed." Lo and behold, 
didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, well, I mean, to be fair, Joel, I was following, you know, I was on Twitter last night whilst the match was going on, but one thing did stand out to me. This is my favourite tweet of the night. I don't know if you saw this or if any of our listeners did. It was from at Del Jontro. Um, said, after four hours and three minutes, both guys have managed to serve seven double faults. Yelena Ostapenko did that in one service game, which she won. <laughs> oh, I, <love laughs> I thought it. that was so love witty. Um, yeah, but anyway, talking of um, Yelena Ostapenko, let's move on to the women's final, which obviously happened the day before. So we had Bianca Andreescu versus Serena Williams. Um, you know, first Grand Slam title versus potentially 24th. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. You know, it was a very intriguing matchup. The first time they'd really properly played, you know, changing the guard kind of being talked of here. Um, Bianca Andreescu came through 6-3-7-5. She's the first Canadian uh, singles player to, to win a Grand Slam, which is pretty amazing. Absolutely. I mean, her level of tennis through the whole match was very impressive. We've got to remember, she's 19 years old, first Grand Slam final. She's got someone you know across the net who's won 23 of them. And she's in a stadium which has got like another like 23,000 pro Serena fans. Um, you know, she just kind of blocked it all out. And you know, she she had a really fast start. I think she broke Serena in in the first game, and she didn't really look back. I mean, she had that little blip in the, in the well, not little. Set. I mean, it yeah. was kind of a. It, there were no, you know, there were nerves. I'm, I mean, I'm guess you know that is understandable. Um, but um, yeah, her level of tennis just was was just on a, another level. And I don't think Serena Williams played that badly. I think you could mm. say that. You know, if you look back at kind of the Wimbledon final and, you know, Serena versus Hallett, you know, I think you know, Serena could have played some better tennis that day. But, you know, what, watching it on, on Saturday night, I think, you know, Serena's level was very high. It, it just was that Bianca Andreescu was the, the better opponent on the day. Yeah, she, she was just better fair and square, really. And yeah, she had that little four, four game blip where, you know, thought, oh, is Serena going to, going to, come back here and I did wonder if it went to a third set what would happen you know you would have maybe favoured Serena with the momentum but I mean Andreescu though her mentality is so you know she was getting a bit nervous perhaps but she wasn't panicking she was just remaining kind of composed and, and you know fearless still and just doing her game and sticking to it and we've seen so many players come into like their first slam final and and just wilt under the pressure and the expectation and it's so refreshing to see someone that just 
isn't like that. You know, I mean, it might be different. Perhaps a year from now, she might be top three in the world. She might have all that pressure and expectation on her. Things can change, you know, when she becomes like the one that everyone's sort of hunting. But for now, what we've seen of her, you can you cannot not be kind of flabbergasted by what she's doing. <laughs> you know, she's making history and, you know, she sort of made Serena look a bit ordinary at times. And, uh, I mean, she's just got yeah. such a good attitude. She was pumped up from the word go and she just, you know, Serena was playing the big points quite poorly. You know, she kept double faulting on break point down, which was, for me, very shocking. I, I know. And I think, you know, I, I was looking at those points and I was thinking... Actually, Serena Williams here is a bit nervous, and I'm I'm wondering, you know, the more the more finals she plays in, uh, you know, the more Grand Slam finals she plays in, I feel like the more of a burden, you know, that sort of twenty fourth equaling Margaret Court record is going to hang over her because I definitely felt, uh, you know, this time, yeah, she she played points quite, you know, tentatively, and as you said. You know, Bianca Andreescu, she absolutely climbed all over Serena's second serve. I think in the match, Serena only won 30 points, sorry, 30% of points um, when uh, it reached her second serve. And, you know, that was quite alarming because, you know, I think in the context of the match, um, Serena only served, you know, 44% first serves in. So That's very you poor, know, isn't it? You can't yeah, have that in a Grand Slam final, to be no, quite honest. <laughs> I mean, particularly for you know, particularly for a player, you know, who relies on, you know, you know, on being very dominant and, you know, has a lot of power, you know, and, and obviously with your serve, it's the first point of, you know, first point of a rally. Um, it, it just kind of, the fact that Andreescu was able to kind of eat in to the point from, you know, from the return, it just, yeah, it just helped her and she was just able to kind of dictate dictate points almost uh you know in in that first set particularly yeah and it's kind of very similar story i guess to simona Halep, you know dominating her in the wimbledon final serena just kind of needs to learn how to like fully show up but in this final year she was i think she did show up she 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 was a bit nervous but it you know she was kind of you know she was better than she was in the wimbledon final and she's still i mean i think against any other player she would have won i think andreescu was the only one that probably would have beaten her um I, I think very... unfortunate for Serena she needs a bit of <laughs> luck I think come like next season she needs to face a you know a nervous uh first time finalist who just collapses basically yeah I think I think the issue Serena Williams has is that if you know she you know in a semi-final in a quarter-final you know she blew you know Svitolina and, and Wang off off the court with her you know her power and her you know presence from the baseline but you know, with a p- opponent like Andreescu, when that power can is is negated, you know, I I didn't really see what kind of uh, you know what other strategy Serena you know could bring in. You know, what is her plan B? And I think that this match kind of pulled that you know into question a little bit because you know when she does come up against players who can kind of you know take all the power that she has, but also and and hit a ball back with interest. You know, I don't think she has the enough variety to kind of to mix it up and yeah you know and and challenge her opponent in it in a different way and I think she was she was missing that against uh Andreescu yeah I mean it must be incredibly frustrating for her you know we I do want her to get to 24 and you know 25 but 
She's going to need a bit of luck on her side, I think, for that. Um, you know, there are de- debates now wh- whether she will ever get there or not. I mean, just going back to Andrescu, I think my favourite stat is that, you know, she's born in 2000. She's the first player in the 2000s to, you know, born in the 2000s to win a slam. And if you think about the men's game, there hasn't even been a player born in the 90s to win a slam, which is, you know, crazy. And, you know, Andrescu hasn't really lost... Uh, a proper match since I think the beginning of March you know at the start of the year she was ranked well outside the top 150 and you know now she's well I assume she's in the top 10 I I don't actually know if she's you know she was ranked 15 for this tournament but I'm assuming she's climbed into the top 10 and this season she's actually hasn't lost against the top 10 player like she's been so like you know you talk about a breakout season this has been the breakout of all breakouts, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, absolutely amazing. You know, a new star has been born. Could she dominate women's tennis? I think for yeah, years to come. Uh, <laughs> I agree. And I think, Kim, we've obviously got to say, it could, would it have been a different story if Meghan Markle wasn't there? It well, seems maybe that if she Meghan needs Markle to stop turns up, going. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Is there a Meghan Markle curse? Um, and I. I you know, as much as Andreescu is amazing, you know, we were, were we not saying this 12 months ago about Naomi Osaka? I think we do need to be a bit careful with how much we go on about, you know, potential and what's going to happen because, you know, Osaka's struggled, you know, since the Australian Open and, you know, I don't want to sort of say, you know, no, no one can say definitively what, what's going to happen. But yeah, two, two uh, intriguing finals, you know, older generation, experienced player, you know, legend of the game versus a young upstart. So um, one, you know, went one way, the other went another. So it was just, uh, yeah, a very memorable tournament, I think, for both both sides. But let's go and round up some of the other finals, Joel, because we, we had some British success. We had yes. uh, Jamie Murray claiming his third straight mixed doubles title at the US Open. So he's he was partnered with Bethany Matic-Sands like, like last year. And they won quite comfortably over the top seeds, Chan and uh, Michael Venus. So, yeah, uh, Jamie Murray is sort of becoming a bit of a force at the at Flushing Meadows with the mixed doubles. And he's also got a men's doubles title that he, he has previously won uh, in New York. So very good, good week. Well, good fortnight for Jamie. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, his sorry, I think his partner said it best when, you know, uh, she said to of Jamie's kind of performance, you know, he's been playing amazing tennis the whole two weeks, lost a very tight uh, men's doubles semifinals to the eventual champion 7-6-7-6. And, you know, I think winning this title was obviously his kind of just rewards for, you know, the great tennis he's, he has put in. And, um, you know, I think it's a very likable doubles pairing. You know, they obviously had the, the crowd with them, you know, with Matic Sands being American and I think I read earlier, earlier a couple of days ago that it looks like we're going to have Jamie Murray team up with Andy Murray uh, for the Davis Cup um, in Madrid later on in the season. And, you know, these performances just kind of are, are really promising for a player who, you know, I think had a, you know, a, little, a little bit of a, a wobble, but it now seems to be back on top, back on top of his game and, and certainly... He can add more, you know. He can add more doubles Grand Slam titles um, in the, in the future because he's 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 one of the best in the men's and in the mixed game. Yeah, for sure. And just a note on the Davis Cup: we're, we're hopefully going to be there, aren't we, Joel? For I think <laughs> yes. one of the ties. So, if any passing shot listeners, let us know if you're planning on on making it out to Madrid because it'd be cool to uh, 
to catch up. Um, women's doubles, we had Elise Mertens and Arena Sabalenka. They came through against uh, Victoria Azarenka and Ash Barty. Close match, 7-5, 7-5, but the first slam title for Mertens and Sabalenka, who seemed very, very happy, um, obviously, in their kind of celebration. So, yeah, a nice... Um, Nice, nice victory for them. They, they did really well uh, in the Sunshine double. They, they won Indian Wells and Miami earlier in the season. So obviously um, a great season for them. And then, yeah, back to the Brits. We had Alfie Hewitt uh, winning the wheelchair singles title. Um, and we also had Andy Lapthorne winning the quad singles title. And he actually like completely thrashed uh, Dylan Alcott, you know, six love, six one, which... You know, I th- I'm sure Alcott thrashed him at, at Wimbledon, so yeah, I, he's got I his remember, revenge. <laughs> I remember being at Wimbledon that day, I think, and I saw the scoreboard, and it was an absolute demolition job. And yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what I don't know what's happened since then, but yeah, it's an complete... agreement between them or something. I'll give you this one, you give me that, and right, you, I'll give you a bagel at uh, yeah. in the UK as long as you give me one in New York. But, yeah, um... I mean, they won the quad doubles together though, so they beat Barton and Wagner uh, to win the quad wheelchair double so they teamed up for that and then also Alfie Hewitt won the wheelchair um doubles with Gordon Reed so again um lots of British success which is fabulous in in the in the doubles and the wheelchair competition um and that's yeah I mean we also had a few junior winners uh, another victory for Columbia so we had Cabal and Farah win the men's doubles um, a few days ago for Colombia. But uh, Colombia's Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano, she won the girls uh, girls singles, uh, again in very dominant fashion, 6-love, 6-1 against Alexandra Yepifanova, who's American. Um, And then in the boys singles, Jonas Foragetek of the Czech Republic came from a set down to beat Emilio Nava of America, 6-7-6-love, uh, 6-2. So perhaps possible future, possible future names future to look out names for. to look out for, definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the US Open. That's the last of our, well, podcasts discussing the US Open. Um, we, we have our winners though, Joel, for Collector Set, don't we? Yes, our we do. Predictions. We do. We did Collector Set, our inaugural Collector Set um, this uh, new, this US Open where we gave um, our listeners six players to predict where they would end up. And those players were Nick Kyrgios, Alex Zverev, Daniel Medvedev, Bianca Andreescu, Sophia Kennan and Suwei Shea. Um, and we have got four winners, don't we, Kim? Four winners. I think these were the these are the guys who were actually winning uh, the other day and just because of the way the results worked, they're, they're still in the lead. So uh, one of them is yourself, Joel. So congratulations. Yes, come on, <laughs> come on. We also had Big Bods one. Um, so they got three right. Also Nawal Nadal and also Lee, uh, Tennis on Telly, he also got three. So that's 50%. So that's pretty good going. Um, I think the most... Uh, correct player uh, was Nick Kyrgios so mo- mo- more people guessed um, that Kyrgios would, would lose in round three um, and then we actually had four people predicting an Andreescu victory so 
it's pretty good going as well um so yeah we'll be doing that again i think come australian open we'll have to pick yeah. six more players at random and yeah and hopefully we can have some some more some more people uh join in yeah we'll, we'll we've really enjoyed uh bringing this feature to um to the passing shot so yeah we'll bring it back for the um australian open um but kind of yeah that is a wrap for the our coverage of the us open i hope you've really enjoyed our yeah our round by round podcasts uh apologies that this is going out a little later than we would have liked but um can blame yeah, Rafa it, for that <laughs> he didn't tie it up when he should have done how dare how dare I he know. he should know the passing shots uh our agenda right how, how rude. um but joel there are there is actually still tennis obviously going on the tennis season never stops it's the start of the asian swing this week so we will be back in a couple of weeks i think to kind of round up all the action from the asian swing um and and looking forward to labor cup as well yes of course um yes so we hope you can join us then for that um we might be putting out a a little uh a, a little extra slice uh pod before then to kind of keep you keep you engaged in in the tennis world on a on a topic that we're keeping under wraps for now but uh, we think is a very interesting uh, subject matter that you you'll enjoy but um but until then um yeah if you've enjoyed listening to our coverage um for this us open make sure to subscribe to us on uh, apple podcasts or on spotify or, or any sp- podcasting platform that you listen to us on um feel free to give us a rating and a comment um if you listen to us on apple podcasts and if you want to get in touch with the show uh, feel free to um we're on social media at passing shot pod or you can contact us on email passing shot pod at gmail.com uh but for now uh kim any any final words any any us open uh leaving leaving speech from you a leaving speech. Um, I, well, I just want to thank you, Joel, for the energy that you've given me over the last fortnight. I couldn't have done it without you, and I'm going to carry it forward <laughs> into our next five podcasts and um, make them the best podcasts possible. Come on. <laughs> Looking forward to it. We've, tennis never sleeps, and as a result, the passing shot is never going to sleep as well. And I think that is probably a good thing because yeah we're heading into asia and i'm gonna feel like there's gonna be some more time zone difficulties coming up it's uh, jet lag without the flight (laughs) but uh yes anyway um yeah hope you've enjoyed yourselves uh thanks for listening and goodbye acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.